Hey, New Life Church, Bronson Duke here. Thanks for listening in. The heart of our church is that you would know Jesus, that you would walk with Jesus, and you would learn how to live like he lived. We hope that this message equips you and empowers you on your journey walking with Jesus. Excuse me, if you guys could stand up while we read the word of the Lord. Um, This is from Matthew 6, verse 31. It says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you speak to us through it, and God, you lead us into life. And so, God, we believe that you're the creator of all things, that you sent Jesus to redeem all things, and that you sent us the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us into the path of life. And so, our prayer is simple. Come, Holy Spirit. You're invited. We want you here. Lead us, guide us, bring your word alive in us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Hey, you can have a seat. My name is uh, Bronson Duke. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, uh, welcome to New Life Church. Um, You know, I I have a conviction. I don't know if I've articulated this on on the weekend before, but I got three kids. This is my family right here. Uh, Throw this up if you can. Uh, That is my wife, Callie, if you haven't met her yet, if you're new to our community. Uh, That's my daughter, Georgia. She is my, my whole heart. And those are my two boys. Uh, tag team partners for life. Uh, that is Roman. He is a tank. And that is Judah. He is the, the, tr- the tricky boy. Uh, but he, he, here's the truth. I, I think about all the time, like, if I were just an attender of the church, if I wasn't a pastor of the church, and I loaded this ragtag crew in the car and came to church, what would I want? What, what would I want to get? And for me, I would want to get challenged. Like, if I came to church, I didn't get challenged, or, you know, somebody didn't push me or whatever, I probably wouldn't keep going. That's just how I'm wired. And so what I effort to do, and y'all, I know I don't ace this every week. Sometimes you guys leave here and you're like, that, that was not so helpful. But you know what? Maybe next week. But my, my effort is to challenge you uh, and help you grow into the likeness and the image of Christ, because that, that's what we want to do. And so what we're here to do, guys, is to encounter God's presence, to be formed to the image of Jesus, and because of that, to go out and live missionally, uh, to love the people around us and make an impact in our world. Amen? And so uh, this week, we're kicking off a new series called Humans. Can everybody say humans? Um, What we're looking at is is what does it mean to be a human being? Like, what is the makeup of humans? How did God design us, and how do we best live? And so this morning, we're going to look at desire. Everybody say desire. Uh, I've got a thesis. It's this. It's that what we most desire dictates and decides the direction of our life. What we most desire, what we most, everybody say most, what we most desire is what decides the direction of our lives. And so recommended resource for the readers, uh, there's a book called You Are What You Love by James K. Smith. It's phenomenal. And I'm about to rob it blind, okay? So if you want to go look uh, at where I'm getting some of this stuff, it's it's a really good book. And so... um, 
Here's the, the truth. We, we had twins. I showed you that. The, the, the hardest thing about having, about having children as a parent is that your rhythms get disrupted. Amen? Anybody testify to that? Like when you wake up, what you do throughout your day, when you can eat, if they have an allergy, uh, what, what you can eat and then what they eat and the way you spend your money and when they keep that allergy, it's the things that you can have in the house, right? You have to learn an entirely new way to function. And if you don't recognize this truth, that in each season we have to reassess our habits, what ends up happening is you blame other people for your emotional and your spiritual condition. Here's how this works out. You'll say things like, we never should have had these kids. Right? Like, have you ever talked to somebody and they talk about kids like it's the worst thing that ever happened to them? It was so much better before. Or here's how it plays out. They'll say something to you like, oh, you're having kids? Enjoy going out while you can. Right? That reveals something. Or, or we blame our spouse. It's like, I should have never gotten married. It was so much better before. Here's how this manifests. You're talking to somebody like, oh, how's the old ball and chain? All right? There's something deeper that's happening there. Instead of looking at it like it's a blessing, they're blaming because of things that are going on internally. You know, when you get married or you, or you have kids, it forces you to go back to the essential habits of your survival, especially with children. And as any parent will tell you, it takes a lot of grit. Amen, parents? and good habits to bring about health in the early years of parenting. It's difficult. But here's the thing about habits. Habits shape humans into who we are. We are not the sum total of what we think. We are the sum total of the things that we do. The things that we do are not just things that we do. They do something to us. The things that we do actually condition and form us and change us. Anyone who has ever lost weight will testify to the power of habit, right? If you're going to lose weight the healthy way, you're going to have to do what? You have to change your diet because as we get older, I always say at older age, you cannot outwork a bad diet, all right? You got to change your diet, and then at some point you need to add in exercise. And at first, you hate the diet. Amen? Like, it physically hurts. Like, you take sugar out of your life, that is a drug you're going to hurt, all right? You're going to detox. And then something happens about two to three weeks along the way, you actually start to enjoy the good food because you start to reap the benefit of feeling good, right? You start to crave exercise. You maybe, you know, you do your workout, and then at night, you can throw some push-ups in too, right? You start to enjoy it, right? You start to eat it up. At first you hate it, and then you crave it. You see the results, and you love it more and more. What's happening? Your habits are shaping your desires. The things that you've put in place are shaping your desires. Then one day, you see your old fling, right? For me, it's Cheetos. And you think, dang, Cheetos looking pretty good right now. I shouldn't, but you know what? I've earned it. Then the next thing you know, boom, like you're covered in Cheeto dust, you're full of guilt and shame, you have a stomachache, you're like, oh, why'd I do that? But you know what? Like I've, I've been good, I've got, I've got it in the bank, like I'm, I'm still pretty fit. 
But what, what can start to happen? You start going back to your old habits, right? Then you start to crave junk food more and more, and you end up gaining more weight than you ever lost, right? Amen? This is how it works. So how do we stay in shape, right? We have to keep the right habits in place. These are lifelong decisions that we have to make. Here's the truth about habits, y'all. That, that's physical, but this has the exact same impact on our spiritual life. Habits have the power to shape the desires, not just physical desires, but the desires of the human heart. And here's the reality of the human heart. The human heart dictates the direction of your life. There's a thought process, um, Rene Descartes, I think it's how you say it, I mess it up every service. Uh, he said, I think, therefore I what? Therefore I am. This started an entire thought revolution. This, this, this started an entire revolution in the way that we think about human beings. Um, and, and what happened is we started to believe that we find re reality internally. Okay? This is a whole other message uh, that, that we could get into. But, but here's the reality. It's not what you think. I'm going to prove it to you in a second. It's what you most desire that determines who you are. It's not how you think. It's not what you believe. James K. Smith framed the issue this way, uh, and I think we all experience this. It says, do you ever experience a gap between what you know and what you do? Anybody? Have you ever found that new knowledge and information doesn't seem to translate into a new way of life? Ever had the experience of hearing an incredible, illuminating, and informative sermon on a Sunday? Every week, right? Hopefully. Amen. Thank you. And then waking up on Monday morning with new resolve and conviction to be different and already failing by Tuesday night. You are hungry for knowledge. You're thirsty and you drink up biblical ideas. You long to be Christ-like. Yet all of that knowledge doesn't seem to translate into a new way of life. It seems we cannot think our way into holiness. Why is that? Is it because you forgot something? Is there some other piece of knowledge you still need to acquire? Is it because you're not thinking hard enough? What if it's because you're not just a thinking thing? What if the problem here is precisely the implicit model of the human person we've been working with in this whole approach to discipleship? The Bible says this, Proverbs 27, verse 19. It says, as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. It's not what we think in our minds, but what we truly desire, truly desire in our hearts that shapes us into who we are as humans. Our heart is a compass that guides us towards our vision of the good life. All of us have a vision of the good life. All of us have a vision of, we'll use biblical language, of a kingdom. And the desires of our heart lead us towards that vision. Here's how it plays out relationally. So Callie and I uh, love each other and we're wired totally differently. Anybody else in marriage? They say opposites attract and then they attack. Have you heard that before? So for Callie and I, like I, I'm the adventurer, okay? I want to do something new like every two years. And Callie is the rooted and the stable one, okay? And so earlier in our marriage, uh, I got a few opportunities and opportunities to go interview for some jobs out of state. And y'all, it was so validating for me. Men are validated by opportunity. 
And so for me, I get these opportunities. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm doing it. I'm getting it right. And I'm like, let's go interview for these things. Let's go check this out. And Cal is like, why would we do that? We're exactly where we need to be. This is where we need to be right now. I'm like, you're not trusting God, right? That's where I go. We need to go. And I knew God was not calling us to go somewhere different, but I just wanted to go do something. I wanted to check it out and see if maybe. And, and, you know, worst case scenario, we get a free trip out of the deal, right? (laughs) Callie and I end up in this massive argument, okay? This massive, it ends up like a throwing things, yelling at each other fight. And, And here's what was at the core of this fight. We had two different visions of the good life. For me, it was adventures out there, which sounds great unless you're married to it. For her, it was being faithful and being rooted and staying consistent in the things that God was asking us to do. Here's the reality. All of us have a vision of the good life. And that vision of the good life is what directs our decisions and our actions, and that is what we actually live into. So much tension within homes is around divergent vision of the good life. And so what Christ says is Christ says that we're to seek first what? His kingdom and his righteousness and all the things that we most deeply desire will actually be added to us. Okay, we're, we're going to try to dig in and break this down. Jeffrey Dyer said this. He said, your deepest desire is the one manifested by your daily life and habits. Think about it. Your deepest desire, your vision of the kingdom, if we want to use that language, is the one manifested by your daily life and habits. These desires come from our hearts, and our hearts are what lead our lives. Now, here's the really important question as we jump into the text. If your heart shapes your life, what shapes your heart? If your heart is what determines, it's the compass that determines the direction of your life, what shapes and directs the heart? Scripture also says that the heart is deceitful above all things, right? You live long enough, you know. There are certain desires within your heart that when they're manifested, bring about destruction, right? So as disciples of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, our goal is clear. It's to become like Jesus, to have a heart like Jesus, to live like Jesus, to go out and love others and build the kingdom of God. That's why we wore bracelets like 30 years ago that said WWJD, right? Anybody still have those? I kind of want another one. Um, If our deepest desires shape our lives, how do we shape our desires to desire God? Our deepest desires shape our lives? How do we shape our desires to desire God? How do we do this? How do we seek first the kingdom? We follow the, here's the best quick answer I can give, and we're going to dig into it. It's we follow the teachings of Jesus as his followers and as his disciples. We follow his ways and his methods so that we can be formed into his image. Kay Smith says this, he says, discipleship, we might say, is a way to curate your heart to be attentive to and intentional about what you love. So discipleship is more a matter of hungering and thirsting than just knowing and believing. Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our loves and longings with his, to want what God wants, to desire what God desires, and to hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all in all, a vision encapsulated by the shorthand the kingdom of God. Point one, if you're taking notes, we must first seek his what? His 
Okay, if we're going to answer the question how, right, how do we shape our hearts to desire the kingdom, we have to first define the what, right? So if we're going to define the how, we have to define the what. So what is the kingdom? It's an important question, right? What is the kingdom of God? It's something Jesus talks about all throughout the scriptures. We're supposed to desire, we're supposed to hunger for it. It's like a treasure that's buried in a field. We'll buy the whole field just so we can get the kingdom. So what is the kingdom? Take a moment. I, I want you to close your eyes and just think about it for a second. How would you define the kingdom? Here's what N.T. Wright says about it. He says, God's kingdom in the preaching of Jesus refers not to post-mortem, that's after death, destiny, not our escape from this world into another one, but to God's sovereign rule coming on earth as it is in heaven. If we want to understand the kingdom of God, we need to go back to the first kingdom. So when you study the scripture, there's something called the law of first origins. So we want to understand something about the scripture. We want to go back to the first time that it's talked about or an image of it is given. And so the first image we have of the kingdom of God is what? It's the garden, right? That's where God's sovereign rule was first seen. Let's go back to the original kingdom. Then temptation in the garden, listen, it was not just about serpents and magic fruit, okay? It's actually much, much, much deeper. The temptation in the garden was actually a battle for sovereignty. The enemy was not just Satan. Satan was not trying to get us just to eat fruit so he'd be like, oh, I tricked you. I'm tricky, <laughs> you know? Now you're going to do bad things. It was a battle for sovereignty. If you go and you study it out, the... the the image that the scripture paints is that uh, Satan in the beginning was one of the Lord's angels. Now, track with me. Are you all still with me? I'm going to teach a lot, okay? So just kind of buckle up, get a pen, get a pencil. Can everybody lean in real quick? Okay, lean in. I don't want you to fall asleep. First service fell asleep a little bit here. Um, so if you go back and you study it out, Satan was an angel, and his, his goal, the reason that he got separated from God is because he tried to usurp God's power, okay? So what's happening in the garden is not just a trick, it's a power grab. And so what he's trying to get humanity to do, and he successfully did, was to leave God's sovereign rule and to come up underneath his sovereign rule. If, if you go in and you look at what was happening in the garden, men and women were placed on earth to cultivate and keep, to bring order to chaos and to create culture. Human beings are culture creators. Look at our cities. Everywhere we go, we create culture. The temptation from Satan was not about magic fruit. It was about ruling. He didn't want to trick us. He wanted to rule us. So that when we go out and create culture, we wouldn't create God's culture of life. We would create his culture, which is a culture of destruction and death. Look at the world around us. What he was essentially saying in the temptation is, will you trust God and build the world his way, or will you trust me and build the world my way? When the fall happened and humanity followed this bait, we lost the authority to build things God's way, and we became slaves to sinful desire, and to brokenness. The fall meant we lost our authority 
given by God to build a flourishing world. And so if we go and we look at the teachings of Jesus, what was Jesus doing? Jesus was coming to inaugurate the coming of God's kingdom. What does that mean for us? Jesus came, I heard somebody say this this week and it blew my mind. I've never heard this before. Jesus did not come to win his own authority. God never lost his own authority. Jesus came to purchase back for us our authority. Jesus came to win for us back our relationship with God so that we could live in his life, in his flourishing, and we could bring that about in the world around us and in the culture of others. So now we've been given this charge to seek first the kingdom of God. So how do we seek the kingdom? We cultivate and keep and seek God's culture, God's statutes, and God's ways. I think one of the number one things that has happened that has undermined us as modern believers is we've thrown out God's statutes in an effort to walk in God's grace. But what we have to remember is God didn't save us by good behavior. He actually saved us for it. He, we're not saved by good behavior. We're saved for good behavior. We're not saved by keeping the law. We're saved so that we can keep the law. Does that make sense? Because the law brings about life. The moral law of God. We're, we're going to break this down. Um, yeah, point two. Point number one is we must seek first his what? Okay, how do we do that? By seeking his righteousness. Point two. Look at the scripture, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Yo, the world is an echo chamber. Callie said this this morning, so I can't steal this quote. She said this as I walked out the door because she's brilliant. The world is an echo chamber that normalizes disordered desires. The world is an echo chamber that normalizes disordered desires. And disordered desires lead to disordered and destructive lives. But rightly ordered desires, or hearts, lead to rightly ordered lives. Now remember, we're going to get back to this in a second. It's through our habits that our hearts are formed, right? So if we habitually are doing destructive things, our, habit is going to des- our, our hearts are going to desire destructive things. Does that make sense? You with me? But if we're continually walking in the ways of God and we're putting frames and habits into our life, what's going to happen is our, our hearts are going to begin to hunger and thirst for more of God. Are you with me? Okay. So we must seek his righteousness. So what is his righteousness? Okay, what's his kingdom? That's God's sovereign rule and reign. Where God's will is done, God's kingdom has? Right, that was from last week. Where God's will is done, God's kingdom has? I'm going to seek his righteousness. So what is his righteousness? It is his goodness. And it's moral goodness. And it's relational goodness. And it's judicial goodness. His righteousness is actually found in his statutes. But here's the issue. There are lots of types of statutes in the Bible. There are a lot of rules. Amen? You might ask the question like, okay, like, this comes up all the time. Uh, You know, you're not okay with some behaviors, but yet Pastor Robert has an SMU tattoo on his back that says, be the stallion. He he doesn't. I don't know. Do you? Okay. (laughs) 
There are different types of rules. There's different types of laws in the Old Testament. And, and we're going to go through this real quick. So there's ceremonial law. Uh, these are ways to be right with God in the Old Testament. So this would be things like uh, sacrifice and the priestly system. And, and y'all, this was fulfilled. It was filled full by the life of Christ. So it talks about in Hebrews, they, they can throw the scripture up. Uh, Hebrews 10, 11, and 12. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices that are animal sacrifices again and again and again, which can never fully take away sin. But our high priest, that's Jesus, offered himself to God. He's the sacrificial lamb. He's once and for all. He's a single perfect sacrifice for sins, good for all time. It says, then he sat down. There's a whole message in that. Then he sat down at the place of honor in God's right hand. Jesus has fulfilled and done away with the need for the ceremonial law. Then there's civil law. This is the ordering uh, of a nation of Israel around the, the law. It was a theocracy. Um, if I'm to love my neighbor as myself, we're to do the same as a nation. So what, what God set up in the Old Testament is he set up a city-state, uh, a theocracy, excuse me, uh, called the nation of Israel, right? And so for first century Palestinian Jews, which is who this was written to, this is what we see happening uh, within the world of the Bible. For them, their idea of the coming kingdom was the reestablishment of the nation of Israel. And so what Christ actually did is he fulfilled all the things that Israel was supposed to do, and now he became the true Israel. So we don't find ourselves in the, in the nation, but we find ourselves in the person of Christ, right? And so it's not our nationality that unites us, but it's our allegiance to the one true king of the world, and his name is Jesus, right? And so that did away with the need for the civil laws. But then there's the moral law. The moral laws relate to justice and judgment and are often translated as ordinances. These are to be based on God's holy nature. You know, we could do a whole series on the righteousness and the moral laws of God and the Noahite laws and all these different things. But I'm going to try to summarize it as best I can like this. Uh, these uh, laws are holy, just, and unchanging, just as God is holy, just, and unchanging. They are based on his character, and their purpose is to promote the welfare of those who obey them. The value of these laws is considered obvious by reason and common sense. The moral laws encompasses regulations on justice, respect, sexual conduct, and it includes the Ten Commandments. It also includes penalties for failure to obey these ordinances. In short, this is what I want you to see. The coming of Christ changed how we worship, but not how we live. Okay. Coming back to habits. We all have things we do that we wish we didn't do. Right? Am I alone in this? We all have things we do that we wish we didn't do. How do we change these things? We have to change our wards, hearts. Our hearts are turned inward. How do we change our hearts? It's through following the habits that are laid out for us in the scriptures that will cultivate the ground of our hearts for health so that good fruit can grow. So how do we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness? I'm gonna give you guys some really practical stuff. I was talking to Callie uh, in between services. She's back in the kids' rooms because she's amazing. And uh, I, I asked her, I was like, yeah, what do you think? What are some things you do? She said, I made a commitment that the first thing I'm gonna open every day is my Bible. She was like, I, I just know that one act, this is an act of worship to God. 
This is an act of obedience and putting him first. And so here's what I know for me. I've spent most of the last 10 years opening my Instagram first thing in the morning. Can I get an amen from anybody? It's where our alarms are. We're addicted to it. We know this, right? And so we start our day in this cycle of, of envy, right? And all the different things that that world stirs up in us, lust, all sorts of different things. And so if we're going to seek first, I think we can get really practical. And I'll just ask the question, what are you seeking first? How do we know what we seek first? What we seek most is what we seek first, right? What we do most, how we spend our time, how we start our days. Where we go in times of stress, that's, that is the true object of our love. And here's the thing about these things that we love. They actually end up bankrupting us. Um, there's a quote. I don't have it on the screens. I'm sorry. I meant to give this to you guys between services. Um, there's a quote from David Foster Wallace, who's not a Christian, but I, I think it outlines this so well. Here's what he says. He says, the day-to-day trench, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. We only, the only choice we get is what we will worship. If you worship money and things, if there, if there were you uh, tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. You'll never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, and you'll feel weak and afraid. You will never need, uh, and you will need ever more power over others to keep fear at bay. Worship your intellect being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. We all worship. We all have things that we love. And the invitation of Christ is for us not to worship things that will let us down and that will rob us, but to worship our creator who will give us the wisdom and the grace to walk through life. How does the end of this passage go? It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What are all these things? Let's go real quick. Go to Matthew 6, verse 25. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is life more than food? Is the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Verse 27. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? How the, see how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom. What's it saying? All the things that we need, 
if we'll trust him, if we'll reorder our hearts, reorder our desires, I believe, this is me conjecturing, God will give us the wisdom to walk out and to get the things we need without us being bankrupted by these desires. Last point is this. Go back to my notes. Last point. It's under his kingship and in his righteousness that humans find fulfillment. It's where we find flourishing. If we're going to talk about humans, I think the most fundamental thing about us is that we have desires. And what God wants to do is he wants to help form and shape our hearts and form and shape our desires, which lead our lives, the compass of our lives, to be the way that he intended them to be so that we can live a life of health and a life of flourishing. Now, I'm not saying that there's no brokenness in life. Here's the reality of the kingdom. Uh, Everybody say eschatology. (laughs) We're going to go there. Okay. Eschatology is the study of end times. If you have an underdeveloped eschatology, what that means is that you don't believe that God actually does anything. If you have an overdeveloped eschatology, that means that you think that uh, God, God, God will fix everything in your life. Here's the reality. The kingdom is inaugurated. It started. It's already, but not yet. The best picture of this is the Emancipation Proclamation, right? It's the best pictures. We, we, we celebrate this in June through Juneteenth is Abraham Lincoln gave the Emancipation Proclamation saying that all slaves were freed, but it took two years for it to get to Galveston, Texas, right? What had to happen? People had to carry this message of freedom And they had to live this out and had to go out into the world. What's happening right now, what's been happening over the last 2,000 years, is the message of freedom, the message of grace has been traveling throughout the earth. And what we are is we are just a small room in the midst of a larger movement, which is the church of Jesus Christ. And what the church of Jesus Christ is seeking to do is to take this message of the kingdom into every nook and cranny and broken place in the world. And our hope is that one day Christ will return and he'll bring about a new heavens and a new earth where we will reign at peace with him as kings and priests and queens. Amen? So right now, what we're trying to stir up in this is a hunger for the kingdom of God. Where God's will is done, God's kingdom has. If we want to see God's kingdom, each one of us, it starts with us, need to hunger after the kingdom. Good timing, that was good. Uh, have you all seen a Costco strawberry? You all seen these? They're the size of a stinking fist. Right? Perfect. I don't know how they do it. Uh, some of you guys may know. Here's the reality. Every strawberry that is growing up strives to one day become a Costco strawberry. <laughs> That's their aim. That's every young strawberry's goal. It, it is the per- only the elite make it. But here's the reality. For a lot of us, right now, we're more like a dollar dollar store strawberry. Pretty grimy, a little fuzzy, all right? But what Christ is doing is he is renovating our hearts to be all that a human being is meant to be. And y'all, that is a signpost to the world. Leslie Newbegin, he said this. He said, we're to live into the kingdom of God in such a way 
that it causes the world to ask questions for which the gospel of Jesus is the answer. And so what I want to submit to you, what I want to give to you, is to look at your life, to look at the habits in the frame of your life, and ask yourself the question, are my current habits, is the way that I'm currently living, causing the kingdom of God to grow inside of my heart, inside of my life, so that the world around us may see it. Amen? The goal of Christ is to renovate the human heart so he can renovate the human family, so he can renovate the human world. This is the message of Jesus. This is what he's doing. And y'all, our effort is grace-fueled effort. What does that mean? It means we are gonna fail in this. Y'all, I fail every day. But because of the grace of Jesus, that's not what defines me. I step back up and I do it again and do it again and do it again. And y'all, this is what we're doing together. Amen? I wanna give you guys some resources. First service didn't get this, so... Yeah, second service, my people. Uh, no, not that, sorry. There you go. Uh, QR, we love our QR codes, don't we? Um, scan this real quick if you guys could. Can everybody get your phones, scan this? This is gonna be really helpful. Um, when you got it scanned, say, I got it. This should lead you to a Google document. I love Google documents. And uh, these are practices, and if you'll keep this, I'm going to continue to load more and more spiritual practices into this document, but there are different things that I've been building, uh, things that I do in my own personal quiet times that you can start to do in your quiet time, because here's the thing. Uh, I, I feel like we tell you all the time, like, get, get alone with God, spend time with God, build these things in your life, but I want to make sure we, we teach you how to do it. And so there's different practices. There's daily declarations. You know, these are things to start your day that you can speak over your life that are based on the truth of the scripture. I robbed it from Craig Rochelle, and I adapted it, okay? There's a pathway for prayer. Uh, there's praying through the Lord's prayer. There's imaginative prayer. I'm going to be adding this week midday prayers that are just simple things. Like if you're dealing with anxiety, just simple scriptures. Be still and know that I'm God things that you can open up throughout the day. Because here's the goal, is that you'll put habits and things in your life to renovate your heart, to seek the kingdom, and to become the person that God has designed you to be. Amen. Hey guys, thanks for listening in. I hope that this message blessed you and it helps you in your journey with Jesus. If it did, leave a comment, leave a review, things like that help us spread the message of Jesus. Uh, if you want to connect with us, the best way to do that is to follow us on Instagram at, at NLC Downtown Little Rock to follow along with the life of our church.